Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sometimes if a child reminds us of somebody, say it might be somebody who we experience as frightening or somebody that we experience as controlling or they remind us of an element of ourselves that we don't like, that we haven't kind of quite owned up to, that can be something that we really push back against as well and we can find it hard to accept those elements of our children. Welcome to Honesty Box, where we find the answers to the questions you thought were off-limits. Hello, I'm Alex Beard and welcome to Series 2 of Honesty Box at the Balance Club, where we ask the questions that you want the answers to, no judgement and no topic is off limits. We've been off on spring break in our gardens, of course, and now we're back with new questions, new guests and ready to tackle some really interesting topics. I loved making Season 1. There were some really sticky questions and the guests were able to shine a light on subjects that often lurk in the shadows. So thank you to everyone who's involved and especially thank you to everyone who's reached out, got in touch to say how certain topics really resonated with you. It really means a lot. As always, if you'd like to submit your own questions for Series 2, you can do so anonymously at www.thebalance.club. Just click on the podcast option and a question box will pop up for you. So our first episode for Series 2, we are jumping straight in at the deep end. Helping us tackle today's subject is Dr Emma Svanberg. Emma is a clinical psychologist working with parents and parents-to-be, supporting them along their parenting journey. A writer, speaker and activist, Emma brings nearly 20 years of academic and clinical experience with the aim of reducing pressure on modern parents. Thank you so much for joining us today, Emma. And the question we've chosen to kick off series two is, I have a favourite child and I feel so guilty. Is this normal? Now, a favourite child, it's often banded round. Do people admit that they have one? How prevalent do you think it is that people do have one? I think it's one of those words that carries so much judgment in it because we talk about favourites and if you say favourite and often our children will even ask us you know who is your favourite and as parents we always say I love you all the same or I love you all despite all your differences. I think that it's very natural for children to feel that kind of sense of hierarchy. For parents we often don't admit that we might find some of our children easier than others and I think often that's really what people 
people are talking about. They're saying that this is a child who I find that I can gel with a bit more easily or I just understand them a little bit better. Whereas a different child, you know, whether you have two or more children, maybe just doesn't fit with you quite so well in terms of your personality, in terms of their behavior. Also, I mean, there are so many different layers to the question, but I think just to answer the initial question, I think that people often find that they have a child that they could just get on a bit better with and I think that it is still very taboo to label that as favoritism but I think it's very natural and normal because you know our children are people they're humans just like we are and just like any other people there are going to be some humans that we get on with more easily than others and why would it be any different with our children it's it's funny you use the word taboo because I thought you know it is something that we are all aware of in terms of the phrase favourite child is something that we grew up with and you're aware, hyper aware of maybe as a parent. I thought I'd have a quick look and see how prevalent if there's any research. And the only research I could find was YouGov. They did a re- some research in 2020 and they said one in 10 parents admit to having a favourite child. And I think that's quite interesting because it's it's about whether you're prepared to admit it. And of course, some, some parents might not have one that, and that's absolutely fine. But in the context of this question, it acknowledging to yourself that you do have a favourite is that problematic in itself? I think actually acknowledging it to yourself is the step that you need to take in order to make sure that it doesn't impact on your child so if we can say for ourselves this is a child that I find easier and this is my child that I find more difficult for whatever reason being able to say that to yourself means that you can then think well if that's the case how can I make sure that the child who I find a bit more difficult is not impacted by my feelings and that's really what we're talking about I think that's why it becomes so taboo because we know that for a child who is not a favorite that that is you know that that will impact on them in some way if they're aware of that and I think you know earlier when we were talking about different layers you know often for people actually where it comes from is ease and when we look at temperament you know there is something called goodness of fit in terms of temperament so in our parent-child relationship there is an idea that our temperaments either fit really easily together or they might have some sticking points that make it a bit more tricky for us to get on so for example if you have a child so Thomas and Chess are the kind of famous researchers who looked at temperament in children and some children they can see as being just very adaptive you know, they, they sort of don't really mind changes and transitions. These are the babies that will kind of sit in their buggies just looking around, kind of wondering at the world around them. And then there are other babies who maybe, for example, find transitions much more difficult, will protest at different changes that are happening in their day-to-day life. And if you are a parent who has an easy temperament, who just likes to go with the flow, then you're going to find a baby who finds those kind of transitions a bit harder. You might find that baby more difficult and, and then as they become a toddler as they became a child that might continue to be the case so it's more about thinking about how does my personality fit with my child's personality because actually that's really I think what we tend to be talking about when we talk about favorites we're talking about the child that I get on with easier and then the child or children that I find a bit harder and often that is to do with our personalities and a bit of a personality clash that can ensue Again, I think the the other layer that comes in is that layer of taboo, where because we don't really feel that we're allowed to talk about these things, and again, there's all of that stuff that, you know, I've talked about so often and we've talked about before, you know, the idea of 
you know, kind of what is um, acceptable for mothers particularly, you know, so it feels like it's a bit easier for a dad to say, for example, that he finds it easier to get on with a little boy because maybe they can do more things together, maybe they gel more easily. There is still such a fairy tale around motherhood in that we are just supposed to love our children all the time and equally and never find it difficult and never find those kind of personality clashes abrasive it just means that we, we then can't talk about it openly and those are the moments where it, it can become problematic because if we're feeling it and we're not able to think about it talk about it process it then it's much more likely to come out in ways that actually can be more damaging to the relationship so like irritability for example because we haven't allowed ourselves to really address what's going on for us. I guess there's, you know, relationships with your children evolve, like all relationships in your life. So the relationship you have with your three-year-old could be very different to the relationship you have with that child when they become 14. And, you know, I imagine, like you touched on there, gender comes into play, the order of birth. And I don't know what you think about this, but possibly the type of birth you have with that oh, child. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's so many factors at play here, aren't there? I think, yeah, so many, so many different layers to it. I think that that's the idea about birth order. That's a really big one, because I think sometimes our first children tend to carry our own childhood baggage our traumas the way that we were parented that perhaps we found more difficult the things that we don't want to repeat we kind of practice on our first child in a way you know the kind of parents that we want to be and often by the time we have a subsequent child we've the things that we kind of grappled with feel a little bit easier we could then have a child a second child who is actually so different and and we experience as being more difficult so it's not always the case but I think that people often find their relationship with their firstborn quite complicated because they are carrying so much from their own experience so there's that kind of childhood element to it and what we're carrying sometimes also if a child so we talked about personality but sometimes if a child reminds us of somebody so it might be somebody who we experienced as for example let's say somebody that we experienced as frightening or somebody that we experienced as controlling or they remind us of an element of ourselves that we don't like that we haven't kind of quite owned up to that can be something that we really push back against as well and we can find it hard to accept those elements of our children that we find more difficult there's also something there I think about the way that we idealize children before we have them so you know I talked earlier about that kind of fairy tale about motherhood of course we also bring our fairy tale about babies and children and it can often be the case that our actual baby or our child that we get is so different from the kind of idealized fantasy baby that we've carried around with us often since we were babies ourselves and that itself the mismatch between our expectations and reality can be incredibly difficult to let go of so I often have that conversation with people where the the sort of sticking point of difficulty can come from the fact that the child is not doing what they were expected to do even though actually that doesn't come from the child at all that comes from our own fantasies from our own ideals so sometimes the favorite child the child that we find easier is the child who turned out to be a bit closer to our idealized child 
and that often is the baby that is a bit more compliant a bit more adaptable a bit more easygoing the children who are maybe a little bit more kind of higher expressed emotion that we can experience is more difficult because they don't sort of slot into our lives in the way that we anticipated those are the children that we can experience as being you know just just not what we expected and it's that difference that I think can sometimes cause difficulties and then you mentioned birth trauma birth trauma can often really come into that too that if you have had a if if your child has come into the world in a difficult way and that might be through the birth itself it could also be a difficult pregnancy it could be a different postnatal experience um those are elements that we know can impact on the relationship and for some people it means that we want to be even closer to that baby you know if we had a a moment where we felt like we might lose them for example often people really feel like they need to hold on to them very tightly and really protect them so those are babies and subsequently children who we feel very protective of that could lead to a kind of favorite child in a way for some people it goes the other way and we actually kind of have a feeling that we need to push that baby away from us because of what they remind us of and these are things again because we don't often have the opportunity to really talk and think about it they get carried into the relationship in a very unconscious way so again being able to really think about these things is the first step in then being able to make sure that it doesn't have a longer term impact on the relationship how do we check ourselves for those unconscious measures then if they do have the you know the possibility of really affecting your relationship with your kids well I think the first step is admitting that we've all got them we all have our fantasies our ideals our experiences that we're bringing into our our relationship as parents and then being able to really kind of think about what you're bringing yourself without your child just yourself in your own relationship so you know, the kind of childhood experiences that you've carried, how you thought it was going to be being a mum or dad, how it's actually turned out to be, what you thought your child was going to be like, and then bringing the child into that too. So actually being able to think about, you know, how did you expect that child to be? How have they turned out to be? Which of the bits of them that you find easier? Which are the bits that you find more difficult? And actually being able to look at them as whole people. I think we can find that so difficult to do as parents, to actually look at our child as their whole self separate to us and their a whole unique personality and what they bring in the world and what they're interested in and being able to approach them with curiosity you know kind of letting go of some of our assumptions about who they are and who we want them to be and much more just looking at them as whole people and thinking about well who is this you know magnificent and often complicated little creature in front of me you know what are they offering to the world what is it that they're curious about so being able to kind of own it and process it and think about it, but also then look at it with curiosity. So I think sometimes the most dangerous part of this is that we then start to add a layer of judgment on top of everything. Now, how can I possibly think this about my child? Because I'm supposed to love every part of them. And does that mean I'm a terrible parent if I don't love every part of them? And actually just letting go of the kind of guilt and judgment that can come in and being able to say, okay, well, if that's the case, what do I want to do about this? Not adding on the kind of layer of shame that so often comes into these conversations. Because it's even in the question here that this person says, I have a favourite child, I feel so guilty. Is guilt ever a helpful emotion when looking at things like this? 
I think guilt can be, it tells us something, right? That there's something there that I don't feel comfortable about. And I think that if there's guilt or remorse, we can do something about it. You know, often guilt comes and then we apologize, for example. It's a sign that we've done something that we don't feel happy about. But when it becomes shame, that's when it becomes really unhelpful. So shame is often just the way that we... Um, berate ourselves for something the critical voice that comes in that is so familiar to so many parents and that's the bit that becomes really self-defeating because we end up first of all in a very you know kind of practical way it means that it's very hard for us to think about a possible solution because we're so busy criticizing ourselves it also actually takes the attention away from the, the child and the relationship with the child and becomes a conversation with and about yourself so you can see from that perspective as well actually it's it kind of just exacerbates that cycle where we're not really thinking about the relationship and we're not really thinking about the child we're just thinking about how how we feel about it so it's a very common emotion. I mean, I think that there is so much shame around parenting, so much guilt and shame. Um, and again, being aware of it and what it's doing and how it's stopping you from being able to actually find solutions, make progress, you know, get closer to the relationship that you really would like to have with your child. So for these people who, well, certainly this person who's messaging and anyone listening who recognises in themselves that they perhaps have a favourite for whatever reason that might be, What's the next step? Um, well, I would really be very honest about is it having an impact? Because, you know, there might be, it might be that in your family, there are, let's just say there are two children. And in terms of personality, those children get on better with one parent than the other. And actually, both of those children are thriving, healthy. It doesn't have a negative impact on the relationship. Everyone feels loved and cared for. But there are, you know, personalities that feel that they rub along together more easily. And then there are personalities where maybe it just doesn't gel quite so clearly. That's, you know, that's a kind of natural, normal part of family life, right? That we're always going to have times where we kind of get on a bit better than others. I suppose where it becomes really problematic is if that child is aware or if there's friction in the relationship, that's where you really need to do something about it and be able to think about how, what is it that I'm bringing and what is it that, that, you know, for an older child as well, what is it that they're bringing that we might need to go and explore in some way so that we can make sure that that relationship stays connected, even with our differences. And I think that's, you know, one of the key things is often you know favoritism can come out of a feeling that those differences aren't acceptable and you know where it becomes problematic is when we can feel frustrated or annoyed with our children for being different to us uh, and that's where you know I think that the relationships can very quickly become very difficult and and full of friction and and children kind of really feel that as they're growing up that kind of lack of acceptance from parents so really being able to think about how where is that difference coming from where is that difficulty coming from but the key thing is then what am I going to do to make sure that we stay connected even despite those differences and ideally getting to the point where we're really embracing all of the differences in the family and seeing them as being really positive and everybody contributing to the family in their own special and unique way I guess there is a difference, isn't there, though, between favorite, having a favourite and showing favouritism. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's about the awareness of it. 
Yes, yeah. And and being able, and I mean, I think it is such a loaded word, isn't it? And I really notice that as we're talking about it, you know, when you say favourite, I kind of go, oh, because I think that's that's the part of it where as long as our children aren't aware of it, we can, we can know it for ourselves, that maybe we have preferences, but like we have preferences for other things too, you know, that we are human and we do, we do have things that we find easier or things that we prefer. Um, the really key thing is making sure that that's not something that's communicated to your child, that there might be things that you enjoy doing together that you don't enjoy doing so much with your other child. So being really careful about the language that you're using, being careful about the kind of way that maybe you might be communicating that to your child. And we can do these things very unconsciously. Um, and then if, it, if it's something that does feel that it's kind of you know, open and part of the family culture or part of the family narrative, then thinking, you know, if you have a partner, thinking with your partner about how are we going to make sure that everybody feels, even if not kind of equally, um, you know, dealt with in the same way, because of course we all have our differences and we all need to be sort of, uh, our relationships will be different regardless of who we are, but that that's not impacting on kind of self-confidence and connectedness and, and understanding of each other. And I guess it's also important to separate out that feelings of favouritism in your in yourself doesn't mean a difference in levels of love. No, that's the really that's the really key thing is that we can love, and and also being able to say that to your children too because I think children do often ask that question: Who's your favourite, or do you love who do you love the most? And often we can say to our children, but I love you both the same, or you're both exactly the same in my eyes, or all of you are the same in my eyes. But but really, if, if we're going to be aware of and embracing difference, we need to be able to talk about that as well, that you're all so different, and I love you all so differently, and I love you because you are you, and that is what I love about you. And it's just a completely different relationship. So there is no comparison. You sort of take away that element of comparison that is so often there for siblings, and think for yourself and talk to your children about what it is that you love and, and admire in all of them in, in their own very different ways it's quite funny as an adult now obviously a mother myself but I am also one of four and you know those those thoughts do kind of raise their head as a kid you know who's your favorite oh you gave them a bigger slice of cake that's your favorite. you know just silly squabbly things like that but also now as adults we can talk about it quite freely and, and without feeling hurt but there is there is a favorite in our family and it's my it's my youngest brother and we talk about it and we joke about it with my parents and um, but it's it's interesting to look now because he's 11 years younger than me and so the the household he grew up in was not one that was filled with kids because most of us myself and my brothers had moved on were at uni and stuff so he was at home alone so he was he feels like he's the favourite because my parents were very focused on him because there wasn't this family unit that we were used to. And so it, it's so situational, isn't it? And it, it in no way did it cause us harm. In no way do I feel like there was more love portioned upon him. That wasn't it. It was just, we, we joke that he was the favourite, but he needed more attention because there wasn't attention from siblings. No, and, and it shows, doesn't it, kind of how these things can be spoken about in a way that feels you know, like part of a family narrative and it becomes almost like you were saying there, it's a bit of a joke. But, you know, that also makes me think about, you know, how different it would have been for him growing up without his siblings that and needing the attention from your parents and, and you know, the d- different pressures that are on a child when that's how they're brought up. And, you know, I think it just shows how complicated all of these relationships can be. 
Um, I think there's something there as well, though, about, again, that kind of idea of difference and being aware of difference and kind of being able to talk about it in the open way that you've just described, you know, that that if parents can hear that and and say, well, but how how did that feel for you? You know, that's the question, really, is that it's not that, it, you know, not being afraid to kind of take it that step further and say, well, how does it feel for you to think that maybe your brother got a bit more attention than you did? What's that like for you? And is there anything that you need from me now because of that situation? So being very open about having those kind of conversations with kids. I mean, openness is always, like you said, right at the beginning. You use the phrase owning up. Um, mm. and openness it, it's still a real struggle and and again like you touched on at the beginning specifically I think for mothers because it, it, it you know mum guilt it's not just a phrase that people bound around it's such a real thing um, and there's finding that space to be open and feel not judged I think is still quite rare it's really rare and I think actually this is where the shame thing comes in as well because there are those experiences that you can have where you are open and you do allow yourself to show your vulnerability in thinking about some of these more taboo subjects and then if you do feel judged that that's where the shame comes in and you're much less likely to then talk about it again this is why it's so great to have these kind of conversations like we're having now where we can we can talk about like your honesty box you know or let's think about the things that actually sometimes keep us up at night because when we talk about it then we can find solutions you know when we think about or even just being able to get it out there in the world like you know your listener has being able to say okay it's not just me who feels this way lots of other people feel like this lots of other people feel like this and don't own up to it and if that's the case, then what what is it that I want to do about this to make sure that it's not something that is negatively impacting on my family life? So I guess we should touch on that for, for the kind of the, the people who perhaps aren't aware or or aren't able to confront that perhaps they are they have a favourite child at a time. What could the damage be if if these things aren't redressed? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, I think we're talking about self-esteem for children, you know, like we touched on earlier, when children don't feel accepted for their whole selves, they're aware of it. And, you know, we all have that to some extent that there are maybe parts of our personality that our parents didn't quite understand or didn't quite tolerate. Those are often the parts of our personality that we find much harder to understand and tolerate ourselves. 
Um, when there's a comparison, I think when there's direct comparisons made, that can be really difficult for children and damaging in the sense that that's, that is your blueprint, that you will always compare yourself with people. You know, that if you were compared to a sibling because you were more difficult or you were more challenging, that is the blueprint that you will carry into your other relationships. So in that sense, you know, that's where it can be very positive too, you know, that if you feel that you were accepted and you were kind of understood and your parents were curious about you as a person, that is the blueprint that you carry into your other relationships. But, you know, when it's been a blueprint that has been perhaps a little bit more... Um, negative or has left you feeling that you were unacceptable in some ways then that's something that you look for in other relationships too and, and it can often carry that feeling of kind of a lower self-worth or feeling that there are parts of you that aren't acceptable or to be tolerated um, and you know I think I talk to lots of adults who've had that experience you know that's where you know therapy can be so helpful in adulthood where for whatever reason and for so many different reasons you know people can grow up feeling that they were less worthy than other members of their family um so it's not like these things are kind of set in stone these are always things that we can explore in our later life but I suppose if if it's something that you're really aware of as a dynamic in your family with your children being able to you know open up those conversations you know, whether it's somebody that you trust, whether that's a, another family member, whether that's a friend or whether it is with a professional like a therapist, so that you can think about, you know, if there is something there that is causing a bit of friction, how do I make sure that that doesn't negatively impact so that, you know, my child can still grow up feeling proud of who they are, even in their differences from me. And if there are differences, notable differences, both your child, yourself, your family unit notice that, how what are the, what's the language you use when discussing this with kids you know how should it be tabled should it be tabled well I guess it's about well I mean I wouldn't necessarily say to discuss it directly with a child if you're aware of a difference that's causing that's causing you discomfort or that's causing you to feel kind of less connected to that child and their relationship um where it would be spoken about with children is really praising them for their differences you know highlighting the things that um that you love about them all of the parts of them all of the parts that you find um interesting and are curious about and the things that they um you know what they're interested in what they love about themselves so it's less about a conversation about noticing the differences more a conversation I suppose about embracing all of the different parts of them does that make sense yeah absolutely absolutely and if if you've got older children or perhaps just children of an age that are perhaps throwing things at you like I know you've got a phobia or I know I'm not the favorite those conversations can be very tricky now whether that's something that you are conscious of unconscious of or something that just even your child thinks might be true even if it's not how how do you work around those conversations so I think that there are certain principles that are the same no matter how old your child is I think that as they get older you know and they can say things that maybe do touch a grain of truth their our initial reaction is to say no no no, no of course that's not true it's really invalidating, you know, if we if we shut it down in that way. But whether your child is a toddler, you know, a preteen, a teenager, an adult, being able to enter into that conversation 
curious about what it is that they're feeling so it doesn't really matter what they're saying the words that they're saying and our first instinct is often to fix and to reassure but to be able to just enter into that conversation with it with a genuine wonder of what emotions it is that they are bringing to that conversation so for example as you just said if a child says I know that you've got a favorite and I know that I'm not your favorite being able to say oh wow that sounds really hard. You're saying something really big. Tell me a bit more about that. What makes you feel like that? And being able to listen, you know, kind of open-heartedly to what they've got to say without the need to defend yourself because often at that point, and it may not be true, you know, our children can say things all the time that are not true, but actually what they're communicating is that I need you to hear me and I need you to hear the difficulty of my experience. So, for example, you know, a classic example would be children shouting, I hate, I hate you. We know that our children, in that moment, they might be feeling very angry, they might be feeling full of hate, but we know that they also love us at the same time. And rather than respond to that by shutting it down, well, I know that you don't, but being able to say, what is it? What is it about how you're feeling right now that is making you say that to me? Why are you so angry? What's happening for you? And allowing them the space without the need to be defensive, allowing them the space to just get out what it is that's on their mind. And often with children, it's it's sometimes not even anything to do with your relationship anyway. You know, there's something about, maybe there is some comparison that's going on with their sibling. Maybe there is something that's going on that's completely unrelated to the family, or maybe it is that they've picked up on the fact that, you know, you have an easier relationship with a sibling than you do with them. But, but just really kind of the key is, is being able to enter that discussion with, with a kind of open-heartedness to understanding their experience and without layering your experience on top of it. Does that take practice? Because my knee-jerk reaction when you said, um, you know, when you said, oh, I'm, I'm not your favourite, in my head, I instantly go with, don't be so silly, of course that's not true. Because, you know, and, I, and the way you describe dealing with it I can understand it's it's infinitely better but that knee-jerk reaction is very hard to pedal back from in the moment isn't it it is really hard I think that we can look at where that instinct comes from and often the instinct comes from shutting down the conversation because we're a bit scared of the emotions and particularly for those of us who are brought up in the 80s and 90s which is very much an age of you know children should be seen and not heard emotional expression wasn't really around then you know we didn't talk about things in the open way that we do now where we can we can want to hear our children's emotions and wish that we had the capacity to hear our children's difficult emotions if our experience was that we would be met with a silencing even in a very nice way even just to oh you're fine it's nothing to worry about don't cry it's fine you know so a way that you know perhaps seemed positive but actually was quite silencing that's what comes up for us when we get those big questions that's what comes up for us that little kid part of us that just goes oh I feel really awkward I don't know what to say so I'm just going to shut it down but we can notice that in ourselves that need to fix that need to um, minimize notice it be aware that it's there and then draw on the other part of us that actually wants to hear the whole of our children's experience and we're not going to get it right all the time and it does like you say it does take a lot of practice and I also minimize at times you know even though I have practiced for many years there are always those times you might be tired it might just feel awkward you it might not be the right time to have a conversation like that 
but you can always come back to it so you can always say to your child later on when you do have the space I'm really sorry you were trying to say something really important to me earlier and I ended up shutting you down I really didn't mean to do that I am here with you now and I am really ready to listen to what you had to say so you know earlier when you said so and so is your favorite and I'm not your favorite tell me a bit about that tell me how that feels for you and again it it actually what's really interesting about it is it can sound so intimidating it's so much less work than trying to fix a problem that is not yours to fix because we can't fix problems if we don't really get to the root cause of them but just being able to be with somebody and say be with your child be able to say I'm here I'm listening and really all you've got to do is allow that space so it's it's much it's actually much less arduous than it is trying to fix a problem that you don't really understand Emma thank you so much that's such a great place to finish what a great way to kick off the series we'll be back next week discussing another of your submitted questions so until then take care and we'll see you back here next week Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. <laughs> 